0: I imagine that you've had times in your life, and because it ebbs and flows just on you know, where you are, of when you're more connected or less connected to those sense of communities where you really feel connected. Uh, one of the powers of the series Friends is that I think that a lot of people connected to it because they were longing for the sort of friendship that the characters within Friends had, that they could pop in and out of each other's life. They could literally do life together. And so that's where we decided to do the sermon series Community, um, themed after the Friends series, during this time especially, because I have found more than ever that I have realized how much of a social creature I am. In the beginning, when God created everything, God created humanity, and uh, there's this uh, poetic structure within one of the creation stories that talks about how God created male and female, and in the image of God, God created them. And there was this, the notion within that creation was that they were not complete until there was two. And some people take it all sorts of different ways on what exactly that means. I take that to mean is that we were created to be in community. God, as Christians, we believe that God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we were not complete in our creation until we were in community. And, and I know that during this time when we've been at home, I've felt that more than ever. I mean, there's the the jokes that go around, uh, I think that was sent via email of, I never knew how excited my dog was to leave the house until now I've been qu- staying at home, right? That we just want to get out and interact and be with people, and, and I know that we still have another month of the stay-at-home orders, and I just know we we're feeling that sort of burden, but... Um, I was just listening to uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who's the CEO of Facebook, talking about the new features that they're going to be releasing um, because he and all of Facebook is recognizing that it's not just enough to post things, but people want to interact. They want to engage with each other. They want to be in community together. And, And I think that now we truly are seeing how important community and social interaction is. And so it, it makes total sense for us to be talking about friends and total sense for us to be talking about community because I think we're seeing the need right in front of us more than we have before. It's so easy to go throughout our weeks and, and the busyness that we don't have time to you know, call our friend or text our friend or sit down with our friends. Instead, we're you know, going to work, getting home, doing the dishes, preparing for whatever we have going on, going to our committee meetings, whatever committees we're involved in, and life just keeps going. So last week we talked about making space. We talked about how this unique opportunity of COVID-19 creates an opportunity for us to make space for friendships that are two-way streets, that are opportunities to give to another and to receive from another, because that's in fact what authentic friendships are. And this week, we're going to talk about something a little bit more challenging because it's something that we often like to avoid. And we're going to talk about conflict within friendships. I I have a a friend from high school who, um, one of my best friends, we grew up playing hockey together, and he had an alter ego. I won't tell you his name because then everyone who watches this from Minnesota will know. But we called his alter ego the specific personality. And when the alter ego came out... he was angry all the time at anyone around him, and so he would just lash out and get upset at the people around him, and um, for a while, this friend who, you know, after the alter alter ego subsided, um, would feel a lot of sense of guilt, right, like about how angry he would get when when his alter ego would come out, Um, but one of the reasons I think he felt so guilty is because this assumption that you can't get upset at your friends, right? I think that that's like built into the fabric of some of our community that conflict is a bad thing, and so when he would get mad, we called it an alter ego, we teased it about it, and then you know there's a sense of shame around it, because how can you let anger out or frustration out within the context of the people that you love? I would imagine, if you just take for a minute, just like think about all of your closest friends, I would imagine that most of them, you have had at least stents. Conflict with them, of disagreements, of feelings that are hurt, because that's what it means to be close to someone. One of the things that I do in premarital counseling with couples is we walk through not how to avoid conflict so that it never happens, but what do we do when it finds itself in our house? How do you manage conflict together? And I think couples that have learned how to manage the conflict together, even when they both have different ways of doing it, one might be someone who kind of cloisters away and wants to go and read a book or process. Another one wants to kind of jump in and attack the problem and figure it out and solve it. Unless that couple is able to manage it together, they'll find themselves spiraling in conflict. Or if it's outside of the context of marriage, what happens is that if there's a, a, a conflict, what often can happen is a, a friendship that's there and they've been together for years and you know they've gone through life together, but then the conflict arises and then they part their separate ways, never to speak again. And I've heard some of those tragic stories. I've also heard some of those stories when they've come back together, but I think that Matthew here, and Jesus gives us a glimpse into what healthy conflict might look like. Healthy conflict is not one that we avoid the other. Healthy conflict is not one where we ignore that there's a problem when someone hurts me. Healthy conflict is going to that person and telling them that, hey, this hurt my feelings or this hurt me. Jesus says when someone sins against you, go and tell them. You know what uh, is much easier for us to do? When someone hurts me, go and tell my other friend about that person and how awful they are, right? I can't believe that James did this to me, or I can't believe that, you know, he had the audacity to say that to me. Not texting him, but texting the others. And I let that sort of tension and turmoil kind of be there and develop into bitterness. And then when I'm able to connect with that person, that bitterness stays there. In the series the Fri- and friends, there's numerous episodes where they find themselves in the midst of conflict. And, as, uh, and there's numerous episodes that they work through the conflict and make their way out of it. Conflict isn't a bad thing within the context of friendship. In fact, it's a normal thing and it can be a very healthy, life-giving thing if managed well. Christians have a tendency, I have found, to sometimes avoid conflict, especially within the context of church. Because we're supposed to be nice to each other and friendly to each other and we're supposed to have everything in common like the book of Acts says. It says that we, you know, don't manage conflict well because we don't think there ought to be conflict. We should be one of the same mind. But that's not the image of the early church that we have throughout the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself addresses conflict head-on probably because there was conflict within the early followers of the church. Also, the book of Acts talks about this at different points as well. The Apostle Paul had a conflict with James, who was the author of James, and some of the leaders within Jerusalem, and we know that because Apostle Paul was going out and trying to pave new territory and connect the Gentiles to this thing called the body of Christ. But as he did it, he was saying that they did not need to follow the Torah. Some of the Christians down in Jerusalem, well, they didn't like that and they didn't agree with Paul and they didn't want him to be doing that and they tried to rein him in. And there was conflict there in their midst. But that didn't mean that they couldn't be church together. That didn't mean that they couldn't serve a greater purpose. It meant, though, that there were differences and abilities to manage it. I mean, to continue on the example of Paul, Paul's dream was to go to Rome. He wanted to connect the Gentiles to the mission of the church. And so Rome was his sort of final destination where he was headed. But as he was headed there, he stops on his journey and then circles back to Jerusalem. Not only to manage the conflict that was brewing there, but also coming bringing gifts of money he had been involved in Corinth and Corinth had a decent amount of money and he brought that with him to Jerusalem who were primarily peasants in that community because that's what the Jewish class were there that had connected to the church. And so he not only comes sort of with his attitude to like bring the conflict and resolve the conflict, but he comes bearing gifts to those people to support them amidst the diversity and disagreement that they had. What does it look like for us to manage conflict together with one another? I think one of the things it looks like is just as Jesus described, it looks like being honest when someone hurts us. Don't uh, don't let that sort of fester within us. Don't hold that shame or that guilt of when you got angry. It's coming together and talking about it together. And working through that and being honest with it. But that always just doesn't fix the problem, does it? And so Jesus even talks about getting other people involved after that if that doesn't work. But one of the things I thought was interesting as I read over this section of Scripture is that it's one thing to come and to share with someone that they hurt your feelings. And then to forgive them. But he follows that sort of sense of being wronged with this slave who is forgiven. And then, who then goes off and doesn't forgive someone else. And God says, why would you do that, you wicked servant? I forgave you and you didn't forgive another. See, because when we're wronged, I'm wronged. And I hurt and you're wrong right? And so it's so easy to go at that attitude as if the other person is at fault for everything that happened in our relationship. And sometimes, in fact, that is the case. But Jesus couples that sense of going to the other and telling them that they're wrong with this idea that we've got to forgive people, not just seven times, but 77 times because we ourselves have been forgiven. It's called grace, that we extend grace to another because we have received grace. Now, don't hear me wrong. There can be toxic relationships. Relationships that uh, breed conflict over conflict and develop sense of uh, oppression within those contexts. And so if that is the sort of relationship where you don't have a voice, you don't have an ability to resolve, that you're in this systemic pattern, I'm not speaking to you in that relationship right now. We ought to be in healthy relationships that are two-sided, just like we talked about last week, that there's times when we give and when we take. There's times when we might be angry, but we're forgiven, and the other way around. One of the things, the images that I I love is that image of the table when we gather around it. Uh, The early Christian church developed a practice that now has been kind of seen as a negative, and it's called excommunication. Big word, sounds really bad. Its entire purpose, though, was around Jesus' statement. When he said, go to someone and tell them they've hurt you. And then if they can't do that, then bring others in. Excommunication was the reality that at the table, fractures exist. And what I mean by that is that at a table with someone who's lied to you or stolen from you or hurt you, there is a fracture at your table. And so the early church developed a practice of excommunication, not to get people out of the community, but to acknowledge and to name that sin can fracture us and separate us from one another. That's what it does. It separates us from each other and from God. And so they would name it when it happened, but always... Allow an opportunity to come back to the table. And this isn't like our worship tables that we have now, right? Where we come in and we shake hands with a lot of people that we don't really know very intimately. This is a table in the early church where they would gather together in the catacombs and they would know each other's lives, they would know each other's children, they would know so much about each other. And so when there was a fracture, when one sinned against the other, that had kind of Uh, tremors throughout the entire community because they would all feel it together, the tension between the two. The church continued this practice of having this excommunication and providing ways for people to come back in. Even in the Crusades, those who would go off and they would kill in the Crusades, they would go through a two-year penitence of coming back to the table, and acknowledging that we need to work with people as they come back into full communion. Conflict has been around throughout the history of the church. We cannot avoid it. We need practices to let it come out on the table in healthy and meaningful ways. So here's the hard part, right? I would imagine that if you, are perhaps like me, there's friends that you have in your life that have hurt you. And I would also imagine that those friends that have hurt you, you've either not mentioned it and drifted away, or you've mentioned it and you've let that tension grow and you have this sort of division. Anyway, I just wonder during this time we have more time to think. I wonder what it would be like to reach out. Find healthy ways to address conflict where we have it. To invite someone to experience the grace that comes from this fancy word called reconciliation. But the thing about reconciliation, about making things right, is that if you never acknowledge that things were hard or hurtful in the first place, you can never be fully reconciled. And I'm not inviting you to go out and write a long memo about how this person is terrible. I'm inviting you, though, to think about the people in your lives that you have this sense of turmoil, of division. Perhaps they've hurt you, or you know that you've hurt them, you've just never mustered up the courage to address it and apologize. See, because the church ought to be the place, frankly, where are kind of like, uh, in my experience, locker room experience in sports. With all the uh, kind of energy and aggression that can happen, you know, like people can get mad at each other really quickly when they're on, you know, out in the field or doing whatever they're doing, but somehow they have this tendency to reconcile that. Even though they will let that anger out or let that frustration out and they get upset with each other, in my experience, they also find this close bond. I know that I think about my roommates that I watched The Office with or I watched Friends with, and and each one of those, it's that sort of intimacy of those confined spaces that I I let out the anger and the frustrations that I've had. Sometimes that's what we do with families, right? That it's our family that can see our angry selves because it's our family that we trust enough that we're still going to come back together. Christians ought to be a community that loves perfectly, as Jesus talks about. But perfect love does not mean there's not conflict. Because we naturally hurt each other. Unintentionally And so it's not about avoiding conflict or pretending it doesn't exist. It's about going to each other with grace, acknowledging that we too hurt others as we go to someone and perhaps tell them that they hurt us. Christians ought to be a community that's known by our love and by our ability To forgive and to reconcile. So, how do you want to do that during this time? How might you take up that challenge to allow conflict to be healing for you? To move towards reconciliation. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, um, we thank you that you're a God who has forgiven all of us. And we can think of countless times that um, we have been in the wrong in our lives. And perhaps we've gone to you and sought forgiveness for the ways we've hurt others we pray that we would be a people that manages conflict in healthy ways that addresses it with each other that finds meaningful ways to navigate pain and hurt feelings and sometimes more than feelings but sometimes you know someone's truly wronged us. Help us be a people of forgiveness and grace. And where there's fractures at our table, mend them and bring us together. And let the whole world know that we're Christians by our love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.